Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Last week, we kicked off the first of our two-episode series on the West Mesa murders. By many accounts, it's Albuquerque's and New Mexico's most notorious story. And to this day, more than a decade later, the serial murder case is still unsolved. It's now been 13 years since the first remains were discovered on the West Mesa in 2009. Police investigators found the remains of 11 missing women and an unborn child. The victims were all thought to be connected to sex work on the streets of Albuquerque. Albuquerque, and each of them had been missing from the community for years before their remains were found. Now, if you haven't listened to part one yet, we recommend you do. Last week, we spoke to Liz Thompson, a retired APD sergeant turned contract investigator who's been hired by APD to work on this cold case, among others. We had about a 30-minute conversation with Liz asking about what kind of new information or new evidence she's hoping for that might help solve the case. We also asked her about some of the big names that have been tied to the case over the last few years. With that conversation in mind, it's important to note that Liz isn't the only person who's worked on this case over the years, and she has her own approach. Notably in the past, interviews we've done with APD investigators, they've spoken a little bit more candidly about specific persons of interest in this case, particularly when speaking about two people, Lorenzo Montoya and Joseph Blea, whose names have been widely reported in the media as having a possible connection to this case. What we have learned is that it creates this feeling or or understanding in the public that those are the two suspects and that they must be the suspects because we named them. Well, we know now the effect that that has had is that people will actually even not call in a tip because it isn't related to one of those two suspects. So I would like to really clear that up. I would characterize those two individuals, and I don't want to use their names for that exact reason. I don't want the focus to be just on those two individuals. They are persons of interest. That again, Liz Thompson from last week's episode, she's ultimately hoping that people will call in any and all information about this case with the chance that something may click. But for context, we mentioned that those few names that have been widely reported in the past, they've also been reported by APD. In 2016, one of those prime names was Lorenzo Montoya. He was singled out by the department in an effort to find more information. Police continue to investigate the notorious West Mesa murders today, releasing pictures of two women who could help them solve this case. We try to keep things really tight-lipped, um, try, to, try, to, try to preserve the integrity of the investigation as much as possible, and it's just not leading us anywhere. So let's release some things and see if we can't generate the, the waters flowing again. That was now former APD spokesman Tanner Tashay in October 2016 as APD released photos of women featured in homemade sex tapes recorded by Lorenzo Montoya. Montoya was killed in a shootout in December 2006. That happened after Montoya had killed a sex worker, Sharika Hill, inside his home. Hill's boyfriend shot Montoya. A little more than 
than two years after that, the West Mesa murder victims were discovered. And the rash of women disappearing from the streets of Albuquerque stopped after 2006 when Montoya was killed. Again in 2016, hoping for more information on Montoya, APD said the women seen in Montoya's homemade sex tapes could provide more evidence possibly connecting or clearing Lorenzo Montoya of the crime. Here's again, former APD spokesman Tanner Tache. Everyone says that Montoya and Blair are the, are the premier suspects. It's not an unfair assessment, but there's still another six or seven men out there who we haven't been able to clear officially. We also mentioned last episode in January 2019, former APD chief Mike Geyer discussing Montoya and Blair in an interview with KRQE. I think there are two strongest candidates, so to speak, as the main suspects. But you know what? Sometimes there's a surprise and there may be some person that we never even looked at. With all of this in mind, we wanted to hear another voice who's been working on this case and been deeply connected to it over the years, searching for answers, working to make sure that another case like the West Mesa murders will never happen in Albuquerque again. She too has her own theories on the case based on a lot of information that's been put out there in the media over the years. Here's our interview. Today, we're talking to someone who's been central to carrying the story of the West Mesa murders forward. Christine Barber is executive director of Street Safe New Mexico, a self-described guerrilla nonprofit advocating for women living on the street who are dealing with homelessness, addiction, and women who are involved in sex work. Christine, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I understand you started Street Safe New Mexico after news of the West Mesa murders emerged. Can you explain why you started Street Safe and what is it that you do? I am the co-founder of it. And so uh, the other co-founder um, is uh, Cynthia Jaramillo V. Hill, um, who was on the street in the 90s um, doing dates. And that's what you call the sale of sex on the street here in Albuquerque is you're doing dates. Um, she was doing dates on the street when she was kidnapped by a serial killer in 99. And so that was the um, West, uh, the sorry, the Elephant Butte serial killer. Toy um, box killer. Yeah, the toy box killer. Uh, and David, um, David Parker, Parker Ray. Ray. She was held by him for three days until um, he was getting ready to kill her and she was able to escape. Um, and so her and I had met and we were talking about the West Mesa case and we, we basically said, there needs to be a group that's paying attention to these women and who, who is, who is noticing when she, you know, someone like her gets kidnapped by a serial killer, all these other women get, you know, taken by a serial killer. 11 women in the community on the street went missing over the course of 21 months. That's, that's a lot of people. And yet the general public knew nothing about it. I mean, that's just insane. And we didn't know anything until 2009 in February when the bodies were discovered. That's not okay. And so we started a nonprofit to pay attention to those women on the street who were kind of more or less invisible. To ask you directly, why is this case so important? Why is it so important to you? Not only did Cindy, our co-founder, know more than half the women, this is the a lot of the women on the street knew these women as well, but also they could still be these women. Nothing has changed to stop this from happening again. Um, we have two serial killers who both targeted women on the street. So clearly David Parker Ray targeted people on the street and kidnapped Cindy. And then we had the West Mesa killer. There's nothing to believe this isn't going to happen again. And so 
until we as a community, until, until Albuquerque, until New Mexico reckons with that and reckons with the past of seeing these women as less than or other than and invisible, we're going to continue to have this. And there'll be more hand wringing when it happens again. And there'll be more, oh no, I can't believe this happened when this is a preventable thing. And so it is heartbreaking to me to consider that all the women that we know on the street now that any of them could fall victim to a serial killer, they die frequently. But to know that we hadn't done everything we could to stop it is would be definitely very difficult for us. The victims in this case were all so young, you know, women mostly in their mid-20s, the youngest victim, only 15 years old. Police investigators have described them as a, quote, vulnerable population, you know, involved in sex work. Police, by their own admission, have been criticized in the past as not caring enough about this case. In your opinion, has this case gotten enough attention over the years? I think the case has gotten enough attention since the bodies were found. Absolutely. Did it get enough attention when they went missing? Absolutely not. And I cannot be more angry about that. And our organization cannot be more angry about that. Why didn't they, 11 women went missing in 21 months. Everybody on the street knew this. Cindy knows people on the street who were saying women are going missing. Please be careful. Police warned her at the time women are going missing. We have, it is, this is a known thing. Yet at no point, no point at all, did APD come forward and tell the public this was happening. The only conclusion you can draw from that is it wasn't important enough for them to share with the general public. That brings me to here we are 13 years later, uh, just recently, the city of Albuquerque, Albuquerque city officials called this news conference marking the anniversary again of the discovery of the bodies. Albuquerque mayor, Tim Keller said in part, quote, we need new information on this case. That is what's going to lead it to getting solved. About that news conference, were you at all surprised the city called this news conference this year? And did you have any thoughts about why now? Not really. No, they do this occasionally. I mean, this is their big case. And if they don't trot out their their people saying that they've done stuff, then it's going to look bad. I don't doubt that they have done everything that they could to investigate the case since the bodies were found, again, to be clear. But there wouldn't be somebody working on this 24-7 because... How many homicides did we have last year? 117 or something like that? Yeah, I think it was 117 people. And so you're going to be spending your time working on those homicides instead of a case that is this old. And that is completely understandable from a staffing perspective. There doesn't need to be a pretense here that they're actively still investigating this. What they're waiting for is a tip to come through that, you know, eureka moment kind of thing. But they're not, I mean, that's not investigating. That's hopeful. Hopefulness. So does that feel genuine to you in a sense that people want to solve this thing? Because again, going back to even what was said during this news conference, I think police acknowledged, but also said it couldn't be further from the truth. The idea that police didn't care about getting this solved. So seeing a news conference and and it being now uh, getting this information out, do you genuinely think that uh, there is a push here maybe that hasn't been here in years past? No, I don't think this is a new anything. This is just, this is just the status quo. But again, I do believe their status quo is they do want to get it solved. I I don't doubt that. It it is for a lot of different reasons. I don't doubt they want to get it solved. It's just nothing actually has changed. There is something to be said for sharing of information 
other serial killing cases that involved uh, women on the street who were, um, were selling sex, they decided to share all of the information. Because as we see time and time again on the news, there are sleuths out there who will try to help figure these things out. And so sharing of information instead of holding onto it so tightly that it's strangling APD, how is that helpful? It's been 13 years since the bodies were discovered. It's been longer than that since they went missing. Just share the information that you have to say, this is what we've got you know, why don't we become a team on this? Instead of saying, we're going to solve this, we're going to do this. Instead say, you know what? We're going to accept that we keep asking and asking people to come forward without giving any information. Instead, give some information. New strategy a decade exactly. later. Exactly. Let's do something. Okay. If, if that had been what this press conference was about, that would have been so awesome. Because instead, those of us who know about the case are left doing all of our own kind of guesswork and all of our own investigations and things like that, when we really could be trying to be more helpful in situations like this. There have been two prominent names mentioned in the case as potential suspects, those being Joseph Blea and Lorenzo Montoya. In 2018, KRQE interviewed at the time the city's new police chief, Mike Geyer, who helped investigate the case. He described Blea and Montoya as, quote, two of the strongest candidates, so to speak, as the main suspects, but without formally calling them suspects. So at this latest news conference, the city's newer contract investigator on the case, a former homicide sergeant, Liz Thompson, said there are more than two suspects. I know you have your own theory on the suspect, but does it bother you that, again, kind of what you were mentioning, that police have been very reserved about suspects or the case at large over the years? I understand why they're being reserved about suspects. That makes some sense, especially if the suspects are still alive. Um, because they're going to face a whole host of legal issues if they just start randomly naming people. So as far as all these other suspects, it's fine. I think that it's if they can't prove their case against their strongest suspects, it makes sense to look at other possibilities. But the truth is, it's going to end up being Lorenzo Montoya. I mean, it just is. There are a lot of reasons it's going to end up being him. And if it isn't him, then he is the best red herring you have ever seen in your life. But it's probably going to be him. It's just that they need new evidence to prove it's him. The new evidence they could get to prove it's him is to find the remaining six to eight women who are still missing and were presumed victims of the West Mesa serial killer, who they never talk about. At this press conference, they just held, did they ever mention that we still have this many women missing? There was a brief mention and it included a poster essentially with those, I think, eight women on that poster. But again, I think to your point, it was a mention. Exactly. And did they say we're actively looking for this burial site? Because keep in mind, you mentioned at the, at the top of the broadcast how it was the largest area they've ever, a largest search area. But this is still just the size of a CVS for 11 bodies. The bodies were buried in that small of an area. They weren't scattered all over the desert. People want to call him the bone collector, which is the dumbest name. No bones were collected or anything like that. That is just dumb. What they should call him is the gardener because he went back to this spot over and over and over and buried them all near each other in this area that really isn't that large, but the fact that you have 11 bodies there. It's reasonable to assume that then he moved sites and he buried the next six to eight victims in a similar place. It would be less likely he would change completely to burying them in completely random areas. There is another site out there like this. It's just gotta be found. 
And that's what the police really should be asking help for. But the problem is if somebody finds that site and then starts to excavate it without telling the police, then you have problems. Police and city officials again said they need more information to solve this case. In your opinion, what do you think is going to help solve this case? What's going to solve this case is finding the other six to eight bodies. That is what needs to be happening. We were told that in order to go search for bodies, it would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that was just not a cost effective approach to trying to solve the case. Everyone knows the bodies are out there. Once you find the other victims, if you find them and they are in the same configuration, and they use the same, they're in an arroyo. They've, the, the killer's built a road of his own from the main road to them. That's, you know, a certain amount of feet. They find the site. They then can say this, these two sites are then connected. And then also when they uncover those bodies, they will probably not have been already bulldozed as was the case for the first site, which had already been bulldozed and flattened a hundred times over by earth moving equipment. If you look at the autopsy information and the reports, they say clearly on there, this body was, you know, was disturbed and there's a lot of broken bones and bones are scattered because the earth moving equipment had gotten to them. So if they can find all of the women already in the site buried and they can dig them up as you're supposed to, as, as you know, as the investigators that they are then I think they would have information that they need. Why are you convinced it was Lorenzo Montoya? For a fair number of reasons. Lorenzo Montoya was arrested three times for patronizing a prostitute or solicitation. When he was killed on December 16th, 2006, he had just gone and paid $300 to have Sharika Hill come do a dance for him. This is no offense to Sharika Hill's family who our group knows and all that. They... It is, that's kind of code for she's probably coming to do a date. Um, but unbeknownst to Lorenzo Montoya, Sharika Hill was followed by her boyfriend at the time to Lorenzo Montoya's trailer. When the boyfriend didn't see Sharika Hill come out after the agreed amount of time, he went in to find her. He found Lorenzo Montoya coming out with a comforter. And Lorenzo Montoya reportedly dumped the comforter down and her body rolled out. A gunfight ensued between the boyfriend and Lorenzo Montoya, and Lorenzo Montoya was killed. Um, Sharika Hill was wrapped in a comforter. That day of the killing, he had gone to buy brand new comforters. So he knew ahead of time, hours before he killed her, that he was going to kill her and wrap her in a comforter. Also, if you looked at the way she was tied up, she was tied up in this very intricate uh, duct tape method that you could not have just come upon sort of. It was something that definitely was uh, something that would have been a practiced kind of thing. In his driveway, you can see the burial site from his house. Now, all of that is very circumstantial. None of that is definitive. And we'll be clear, you know, we know you're not an investigator in this case. Not but even slightly. Right. <laughs> Just be very clear about that. Right. But, you know, in your organization, Street Safe New Mexico, you guys emphasize that you all are a boots on the ground group who, quote, got sick of the nameless men who get away with these crimes. And you even created a list of attackers that you hand out every week to women on the streets of Albuquerque. I've heard you say that you strongly believe there will be enough other West Mesa killer, and maybe there already is. Why is it that you believe that? 
Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, um, for those of us who are um, in the general public, there was a 0.00001% chance that we would be killed by a serial killer. For women on the street who sell sex, it's a 7% chance. There already has been at least two serial killers who have targeted the population here. It is also possible Samuel Little, the other um, serial killer, targeted women here. It's just the way it works. Also, the bad guy list, which we, as you mentioned, we put out every single week. We take rape reports every week, minimum one to two a week. New list, most of ever taken for one week is 10. These are horrible, horrible reports held captive, chained up, and 63% of the attacks are by serial rapists who do this over and over and over because, again, no one is trying to catch them because no one looks at this population. So if we are passionate about trying to protect the population and that leaks over into us being mad about the West Mesa case, I think it's understandable. I personally have taken more than 1,500 rape reports from these women. That does something to you over time. That makes you really, really, really angry. And you start to wonder why, why is this allowed? Why is this, in Albuquerque, this is allowed, allowed. I'm gonna be clear about that. There is nothing being actively done to stop this. This is not to say the Sex Crimes Unit doesn't try. They, and they do a great job in, in at Albuquerque Police Department, as does the state um, attorney general's office, things like that. But. We need APD to have a command. The command needs to take responsibility and make a system change, a culture change within the police department to say this is a priority. Until that happens, we have a lot of anger and we are going to put our anger into investigating <laughs> various things and putting out our bad guy list and looking into the West Mesa killer and finding the, you know, the additional burial site if we have to. For someone maybe who's not super familiar and, and have that personal, you know, uh, conversation with some of these women on the street, I, you've mentioned a, a lot in this um, discussion that just the general public doesn't care a lot about this population. But if you can, I guess, put in your own words, why should they? Why should the general public pay more attention to this particular population? Some people might say or think, well, they, they've chosen their line of work. They've, you know, they choose to have this life style and I don't choose that. Therefore, I don't think I am vulnerable, you know, to something like a ser serial killer. But what would you say to those folks who maybe just, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind? Well, it comes down to the idea of choice. And that's a great question. So first of all, a lot of them did not choose it. They were forcibly trafficked. We have a very, unfortunately, a very uh, large number of women who were trafficked by their parents at 11, 12 years old, ran away from home only to end up being trafficked on the street. How do you, when you're an 11 year old who hasn't been to school at all, you know, how, how do you have any choice but to be doing any of this? You've never signed a lease. You don't have a bank account. You don't even have anything. It's, it's how could you possibly do anything? Um, and we know women who were forcibly addicted as in held down and given drugs in order to be trafficked. I mean, this is, that's the reality. So that's not a choice, but even those people who did so-called choose, most of them ran away from home when they were teens, um, because they were escaping something worse at home. They were escaping 92% had, had sexual abuse in the home or physical abuse. 50% of them had, of women who ended up being trafficked were in the foster care system. So this is, this is kind of, they're coming from these very broken situations, trying to escape them. 
and end up falling into something worse. Um, and a lot of people feel like they don't need to care about the women because they're, they're out there on the street doing dates to support their addiction. 64% were not addicted to anything when they got started. We know two women who got started to pay for diapers for their babies. But the truth of the matter is, it, is an, it takes a toll on you when you have to go into a stranger's car every single day. The West Mesa killer is the exact example of this. Every day you get into a car knowing this person could be the West Mesa killer. I'm sorry, I don't know about the people out there listening to this. I would want to not be conscious and I would want to not be able to remember half of this stuff if I had to do that every day in order to support my baby. So within two years of being on the, of selling sex, most women are addicted by that point. But even if they were addicted when they got started, that still doesn't mean we don't need to care about them. They were, the addiction comes from something. It comes from brokenness or it comes from a needing to escape. So it, just having some compassion and understanding. Plus, the truth is, these are your sisters, your mothers, your daughters, people you went to high school with, people you knew what actually, most of them didn't go to high school, so probably middle school with, people you grew up with. People will tell them, oh, go get a job or whatever. The vast majority did not finish high school. They don't have any bank accounts. They don't have a phone. They don't have transportation. We have a number of women who are illiterate and we have to read things to them. We put pictures of the cars on our bad guy list of cars to avoid. So women who can't read can at least avoid the cars. The idea of not caring because they made a choice. Those of us who didn't have that background had a choice. They, they just had lack of choices. Just a reminder, this is part two of our series on the West Mesa murders. If you still haven't listened to part one, it is still available for download on our feed as the episode that released right before this one. We want to thank Liz Thompson from APD and Christine Barber of Street Safe New Mexico for sharing their perspectives. If you got a question, comment, or something you want to see us cover or hear us cover, let us know. I'm Chris McKee at KRQE.com. Also, Chris McKee TV on Twitter. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhardt at KRQE.com via email or GBurk nm on twitter we posted links to the stories and our prior coverage of the west mesa murders case in the article tied to this episode on krqe.com podcasts please rate and review our show too on apple podcasts or whatever podcast player you use it helps other people interested in new mexico news find the show thanks for listening